what do you think of when you hear the word Philadelphia? Every service, people go to food. Like that's, Do you say cheesesteaks? Yeah, you have to, right? Uh, we'll get there in a second. Uh, but yes, you're right. If you like sports, you think of NBA, the 76ers, Wilt Chamberlain, the 83 championship featuring the, the dynamic duo of Moses Malone and, who knows, Dr. J, a few of you know. If you're a football fan, you think of uh, people that kill dogs and uh, Michael Vick. <laughs> I just had to, every service. It was just such a good opportunity. I mean, it's sad, but for the dogs. What I love about the Eagles is that uh, I was doing this quick research, and, and uh, the Cowboys have played the Eagles a lot over the years. And so I found this statistic that in the head-to-head rivalry between Cowboys, which I'm a Cowboys fan, and the Eagles, guess who has a winning record? Yes, the Cowboys. The only thing that they have a winning record on, but they beat the Eagles more. If you're a baseball fan, you think of the great Mike Schmidt. If you're a hockey fan, oh wait, there are no hockey fans. Moving on. That's for you, Paul. Uh, food. When you think of food, cheesesteaks. And there's that rival between Geno's and Pat's. And which one's better? My only cheesesteak that I've ever eaten in Philadelphia was located in the airport. It was horrible. Just horrible. I'm like, I'm eating this thing going, ah. If you're a movie lover and you think of Philadelphia, of course, right? The great Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington movie, Philadelphia. But better, probably better than the movie was, uh, yes, but we'll get there. Uh, is this the song... Streets of Philadelphia by the great, the legend, the boss. More recently, Invincible, which I like to call um, Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark in the Funky Bunch. That dates me a little bit. But probably the most iconic moment in all moviedom, and that's now a word, you can look that up. In all movie done is that moment with Sylvester Stallone in Rocky where he comes out of his apartment, jumps over the banister, starts running through the streets of Philadelphia. And before you know it, hundreds, if not thousands of kids are running behind him in the middle of the road. I know, not quite safe, but it's Hollywood. And the six-year-olds are keeping up with Rocky. Have you ever thought that was hilarious? You're like, he's not running faster than the six-year-olds. That's strange. Then he breaks away from the crowd, and he runs up those steps to the very top, 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 and he screams something. We don't know what, because it's Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) He goes, ah! (laughs) And he starts boxing, and the crowd's around him. It's that moment. Have you ever ran up those steps? I have. Right? You have to if you're in Philadelphia. If you're into history, yeah, you think of the Liberty Bell in 1776 as they signed the Declaration of Independence or 1787 when they signed the Constitution. No matter what you think of when you think of Philadelphia, we all probably have this image and uh, this thought that Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love where you might get shot. 
the first Philadelphia uh, that historians kind of have verified is this city located and uh, where we find in Revelation chapter 3. It's the first time a, a city was called Philadelphia. Literally, King Eumenes II loved his brother Attalus so much that he changed the name of a city in honor of his brother who would eventually become king to Philadelphia for brotherly love, his love for his brother. And so we find ourselves in week six looking at this city. And if you're new to us, you're coming in here, know that you're not going to be lost even though we're week six of this seven-week series because this whole series is about these seven individual churches located in seven very specific cities where Jesus is giving kind of his performance review to each one of these churches. He's going through, talking about the things that they're doing extremely well and the things that they need to work on, the things that he wants to encourage them to keep doing and the things that he desperately wants them to stop. And so we find ourselves looking at this sixth city located, or the sixth church located in the city of Philadelphia. And uh, to be honest with you, we're going to spend about maybe 10 seconds in Revelation chapter 3 today. Because there was a verse, and especially a part of a verse, that kind of captured my heart and my mind. And so we're going to quickly bounce from chapter 3 in Revelation to Hebrews 12. And this is the verse that, that kind of played with my mind a little bit. It's found in... Uh, Verse 10 of chapter 3. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently. This whole thought of endure or endurance. Started thinking through that a little bit. What does it mean to endure or to have endurance? Because we all are running this race called life. Whether we like it or not, we're all on this life journey. Individually. And I started thinking through the word endurance, and what, what, what quickly came to my mind when I thought of the word endurance was endurance sports. Running, biking, swimming, whatever that sport might be, where you have to go beyond your physical limitations. Where it pushes you to a threshold beyond what you think you can accomplish. I mean, think for you personally. What's an, an endurance run for you? Is it from the couch to the refrigerator? And you get to the refrigerator and you're just famished. You're like, I need a snack. For some of you, the thought of running a mile, that's a long run. Just the thought, you haven't ran a mile since your senior year in high school. And the thought of going out and running a mile, you'd be like, I could do it maybe. For some of you, three miles, five miles, a half marathon, a marathon. For a few of you freaks out there, it's like ultra marathons. You know, 26.2, oh, that's nothing. What's endurance for you? For everyone in this room, we probably will put a different uh, distance around that thought for what it means to you personally. One of the, uh, probably the, the toughest race in the world is called the Badwater Ultra Marathon. It's a 135-mile uh, run. Camp out on that for a second. 135 miles, not in a year, not in a decade. In one race, 135 miles. But that's not what makes it difficult. 
That's not what makes it challenging. That is not what makes it the most difficult race in the world. It's run during the month of July, which, right, July in the United States is mostly hot. I don't know what July is like in Canada. I've never been there, but that's just a random thought for all of you. It's hot. So it's 135 miles in July, located in Death Valley. Temperatures will soar up to 130 degrees Fahrenheit. That might be a dry heat. That's hot. But that still doesn't make it the world's hardest. Death Valley is located 280-some feet under sea level. And you start there, and you make your way up to the peak of Mount Whitney, over 8,000 feet. In that one race, there's over 13,000 cumulative feet of ascent. 13,000 feet you're climbing. Over 4,300 feet of descent. You go to their webpage, and there's this whole list of things that you have to have to do this race. You have to have your own support vehicle. You have to have a licensed uh, medical person, nurse, doctor, someone on your crew in case you die. After last service, I had someone come up to me, and one of their good friends has won it twice. I'm like, I'm not worthy. They will say that uh, you'll go through an average runner will go through five to six to seven pairs of running shoes because the pavement's so hot that it melts the soles of your shoes. They'll literally try to run on the white lines as much as they possibly can because the heat is so great on the, the black asphalt. You see, when we think of endurance... We could think of anything from running from your couch to your refrigerator to the Badwater Ultra Marathon. But for all of us in this room, we frame it up a certain way individually. We realize that there's a distance component that pushes you physically and mentally past what you think you can do. There's a mental side to it. Yes, there's physical. You have to be in shape. But the mental side of it is going to drive you. But what's driving you is that finish line. It's the goal line. It's that mark where you can cross and say, I have accomplished something. Maybe something that no one else could do or most people couldn't do. Or maybe it's the goal line of accomplishing something you didn't think you could do. My very first marathon I ever ran. Las Vegas Marathon, and I literally, I was that guy that went from the couch in September to running a marathon in December. I'd never ran a road race in my life. And I just said, I have to get in shape, and I'm, I have this condition where I just do stupid things. And so I said, I have to get in shape, so let's run a marathon, because that's logical. And I walked into a, a staff meeting a couple, uh, couple weeks before the race, and I I kind of overheard this conversation with some of my staff, and it had to do with something with me and running and money. I'm like, what are they talking about? So I looked at Tyler. I said, Tyler, what, what, what was that? And his face started turning this different you know, shade of color. And he was like, 
kind of give me that look like, I don't want to tell you. I'm like, no, really, what are you guys talking about? He goes, well, we have a bet going. I'm like, like money? And it's Vegas, so that's okay. Money? He goes, yeah. And what's the bet? That you won't finish. I'm like, I'm like thanks a lot. Thanks for the love, the support, the confidence in me. And uh, what they didn't realize, though, not finishing was never even a thought in my mind. I was going to finish no matter what. I was going to finish whether I had to physically roll my body. I was going to cross that line. My buddy and I, Jay, were running. And uh, we got to about mile seven, mile eight. And we were kind of coming over this crest. And uh, we're coming into this section. Uh, it's Las Vegas Boulevard, but we're way out of the city. And so we're coming kind of into the city. And you're climbing, climbing, climbing. And you come over this hill. And right when you came over this hill, this 28-mile-an-hour gust of wind just hit us dead on. Palm trees, I mean, leaning right into us. And if you've been to Vegas before, you know those winds. They're unrelenting. And literally, we looked at each other. We're like, we got about 20 miles give or take a few, running straight into the wind. We're like, how are we going to do this? It was just mile after mile with the resolve to cross the finish line. And there's times I wanted to quit. There's times I wanted to stop. There's, there's you know, several moments where I literally wanted to go, oh, my hamstring, <laughs> I can't keep going. But we kept it was about the finish line, the commitment to cross it, the commitment to finish. And it was hour after hour of mental toughness and mental pain and mental battles where we just wanted to say, we're done. You see, we're, we all are running this race called life. And it's an endurance run. And the question is, What's the finish line look like for you? What's that end mark for you? We come to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're just going to walk through a few of these verses. It starts off by saying in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I don't know for you, but I read the Bible and I get to verses like this, a great cloud of witnesses. And don't you just feel totally unworthy? Like, ah, oh, yeah, here we go again. I can't measure up. There's such great men and women in this book and there's just no way I can ever spiritually be that good. You go back to, to chapter 11 in Hebrews, you find this great hall of faith this great list of names of men and women that did amazing things. Noah and David and Moses and Abraham. You're like, wow, I'm just, I can't reach that spiritually. And you feel defeated. We do that with each other, don't we? We compare our spiritual life to people around us. We look at a certain person and go, man, do you see their Bible? It's all like written in and marked up and pages are torn. They actually read it. My Bible looks like it just came from the box because it did. Or are you talking about someone, oh, do you know so-and-so? 
They pray a lot. I mean, a whole lot. They prayed more today than I have the entire month. I'm just not that. Do you know so-and-so? Man, their spirit is so soft and gentle and compassionate and kind. And I just yell and scream at people. We start comparing. We do that with each other. And we do that when we read this book. But you know what's amazing to me? This list of names in Hebrews 11, real people like you and me, that we put up at such a high pedestal spiritually, their lives were entangled with sabotage and deception and greed and seduction and lust and envy and pride. Maybe we need to look at that spiritual bar that we set so high and realize, first of all, we'll never hit perfection. There's only one man who ever walked the face of this earth that was perfect. That was Jesus. Everyone else, far, 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 far from it. Second of all, do you realize God doesn't expect perfection from you? Seriously. Do you realize he doesn't expect perfection? Because he knows he'll never get it. I'm not saying you just take the bar and just toss it. But we set it so high and God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because you know what God really, 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 really cares about? is a relationship with you. And that's why you have this list of men and women in Hebrews 11. This great cloud of witnesses who were imperfect, who had messed up lives, but they had an amazing relationship with God. This great cloud of witnesses. It goes on by saying, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The word hinders is kind of this athletic term where, where they, they talked about like, throwing off weight so that you could run your fastest. You can run the, the greatest distance possible. And if you're into any type of sports, you know the more that you carry on you, the more your clothes weigh, the more your bike weighs, whatever that might, it slows you down. And so this word really is getting to the heart of saying, you know, if you're going to endure, if you're going to run this race, get as light as physically possible. In ancient Greece, there was a, a race called the Stadion. And it was like the premier event in all of ancient Greece. It's where we get our word stadium from. And so this race is 200 meters started off with this group of guys lining up, sprinting as fast as they could. And I could just picture how this race evolved over the years. One moment, they're sitting on the line and realize, wow, if I, did, if I took off my tunic, it weighs a lot. I could run faster. And guess what people started doing? Oh, yeah, I could run faster. And then someone came, you know what, if I take off my shirt, I could run faster. It got to the point, okay, this is in history, where this group of men would line up on the starting line completely naked. Isn't that a frightening thought? Aren't you glad people don't do that now? 
It would just be the oddest sight. Someone running up Springfield Ave completely naked. What? Throwing it all off. I missed something, which is probably really funny. I'm going to ask after service. It wouldn't be the first. That's <laughs> scary. It probably would happen. Throw off everything that hinders. Isn't that an amazing picture? To endure, to run the furthest you can, the fastest you can. So what are those things in your life that's slowing you down? What are the things in your life that's making you stumble? What are the things in your life grabbing onto you? What are the things in your life that's causing you extra baggage? What are the things? What goes on to the sin that so easily entangles And I know we get to these moments in church and you're like, oh, there's a pastor again. He's talking about sin, blah, blah, blah. The church is filled with these lists of do's and don'ts. You feel that sometimes? Like, here we go back with the sin thing. Okay, I get it. God doesn't want me to have fun. Have you ever thought about sin in this way? Where it's God saying to you, whoa, 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 whoa. There's things in your life that's going to cause you to endure. It's going to cause you to run the race that God wants you to run. That's going to help you down life's path. And there's things that are going to trip you up. There's things that's going to cause you to fall flat on your face. There's things that's going to hinder you, stop you from experiencing everything that this life has to offer And God says those things are sin. I've never once, I've never once had someone sit down with me and say, hey, Chris, I am so, so thankful. I am so glad that I cheated on my wife. It has brought us together. We love each other so much uh, deeper now. And our trust for each other, oh, it's amazing. I'm going to try it again. Never. I've never had someone sit down with me and say, you know what, Chris? I was so jealous and envious of a coworker. And I knew the only way I, I could uh, progress in this company is to sabotage their, uh, their job, their integrity. And man, I was good at it. I spread lies and deceit. And they got fired. And now I can move up in my company. And I cannot wait, Chris. I cannot wait until my five-year-old, until he's old enough, so I can tell him how to do this, to get ahead in life. I cannot wait to impart my wisdom on my son. I've never once had someone sit down with me and say, you know what, my 16-year-old, oh, she's amazing. She's such a talented and gifted liar. Wow, she can parse truth. She can position thoughts. She can manipulate conversations. I'm so proud of her. That's my girl. Way to go. God says, there's a race. And God says, I want you to endure. And God says, I want you to get to the finish line. And there's a list of things. There's some things that's going to help you run that race. And there's going to be other things that are going to trip you up. And the things that are going to trip you up is sin. 
And I don't. It's going to create tension and pain for you and everyone else around you. He goes on. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This word run is run with a purpose, run with a goal, run to complete something. It's not just this casual jog. Have you noticed there's two groups of people when it comes to running? And for, for all of you that actually run, you'll fall into one of these two groups. The first group is a group of people that go out with one purpose, is to crank out miles. They don't care how they look. They don't care what people think of them. They're out there to get their mileage done. They have their GPS. They have their watch. They have their running plan. They know their route. They know exactly the number of miles, and they know the time they want to complete those miles in. They go out with this purpose. And you can tell they're out there on the road, and they are just laser-focused. And then there's this other group of people. They're more concerned about everyone else than the run. Charlie and I were in the city a few weeks back, and uh, we're in Chelsea, and uh, we're sitting at this huge intersection, and uh, hundreds of people on our side, there's hundreds of people on the other side, and we're waiting for the little light to turn so we could cross. And so we're just sitting there talking literally right on the curb, and right on the other opposite side from us, there's this dude. He had the matching headband that matched his shirt, that matched his shorts, that matched his socks, that matched his iPod holder. I mean, this guy, he was legit. His hair was perfect. And he stood there at the light facing Charlie and I. He started doing this. (laughs) Stretching it out. I looked at Charlie, I'm like, is this really happening? Doesn't he realize everyone around him is laughing at him? And this dude, he's stretching. He's like, oh. And then he takes it up a notch. He does this. <laughs> he's working that out. And I'm looking at Charlie going, he really is doing that now, isn't he? And he does realize everyone's looking at him. And he's just like, mm, mm, mm. Then the light turns right? The light turns, and I'm like, oh, what's he going to do now? And he looks around. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're all laughing at you. Yeah, it's a thing now. And he, he looks around, and he kind of skips. He puffs out his chest. And he's like, mm. it's like slow motion run. I'm like, and here he goes. Like, it was the most awkward moment. I mean, for him, it was hilarious for us, because we're like, He's really in that space where he cares more about everyone else around than he does about running. It wasn't about running for him. It was about having this spectacle, the spotlights on him. And you know, so many times in our, our race called life, we're more concerned about everyone else around us than our race, our run, our pathway, our destination. Because at the end of the day, you are running this race. And where are you going to end up? Where are you going to end up? 
goes into verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, that, that's the destination. That's where you set your eyes on. That's where you're headed. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, that was Jesus' destination. It wasn't the cross. It was beside the Heavenly Father. And that's why he endured the cross and endured the shame and endured the persecution and endured people's doubt and endured the mockery because Jesus realized it wasn't about the cross. It was raising from the cross to sit at his Father's right hand. And then in verse 3, it ends out. It says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider. Consider. Who's Jesus for you in your life, in your race, on your path? I know for some of you, You have a very skewed picture of Jesus. And you're struggling through that picture. Maybe it's because a college professor had this vendetta against Jesus in the Bible, even though he or she taught New Testament history. Maybe it's because of a home situation and how a mom or dad or both positioned Jesus and God and church in your home has just impacted your entire perception of him. Maybe it's another church or a pastor who kind of positioned thoughts around Jesus and it just gives this horrible picture in your mind about who Jesus is. My challenge for you is this. You discover Jesus. Get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What made him smile? What made him upset? What made him laugh? What made him cry? What got his blood boiling? What did he give his life to? How did he go countercultural? Who did he spend his time with? Who did he not want to spend his time with? But I want to challenge you wherever you find yourself spiritually, consider Jesus. Get to know him. Not what other people have said to you, but get to know the Jesus in this book, the Bible. Do you really know him? That's why we spent now six weeks in this series. Because it's Jesus' words to the church, made up of people like you and me. There's a story about this guy named Derek Redmond. And uh, he's this British Olympian. And in 88, he had to pull out because of injuries. And from 88 to 91 until the world championship, he, uh, he was in peak, peak form. And he was really excited about the 92 Olympics. And there's this moment 
where within seconds the unthinkable happens, tragedy collides in his world, but also within those moments, there's this amazing picture. This amazing picture, what I feel that God is just saying to you, saying to me, that God wants to run this journey with us, that God wants to run with us. And so as you look at this moment between father and son, I just want you to think about your relationship with God the Father and what it means to you. Take a look at this. Derek Redman won gold medals at the European, Commonwealth, and World Championships, but never at the Olympic Games. In 1988, he couldn't compete at the last minute because of an injury to his Achilles tendon. But at the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona, Derek was ready. There were 65,000 witnesses in the stadium that day, only 250 meters away from the finish line of the semifinals in the 400. Just as it seemed he was sure to win, Derek pulled a hamstring. He began hopping on one foot to try to finish the race as a medical unit came toward him. But he refused a stretcher. Instead, he accepted the aid of his father, his best friend and hero, who had burst through the crowds to get down to his son. As tears streamed down his face, Redmond thought, I'm out of the Olympics again. The crowd roared with cheers as Derek and his father hobbled along the track, crossing the finish line together. He may not have won a medal, but he won the heart of the world. Right after that moment, reporters gathered around Derek and Jim. And these were Jim's words. He said, he had to finish. I intended to go over the line with him. We started his career together. I think we should finish it together. That's exactly what God's saying to you. He started life with you and he wants to finish with you. He wants to walk this road with you. He wants to cry when you cry. He wants to laugh when you laugh. When you feel like you can't go any further, he wants you to know that he's there right beside you. When doubts creep into your mind, He wants to say, it's okay. Because he's the author and perfecter of your faith. There's a song that's captured my heart. It's titled, God is Able. And over the last couple weeks, it's just been on my iTunes playlist over and over and over again. And it's so fitting for today. That God is able. Whatever you need, He's there. Whatever happens in life, he's there. No matter how far you want to push him away, guess what? He's there. Because he started with you at the beginning. And he so desperately desires to end this race called life together. I hope this week that you fix your eyes on Jesus. I hope that this week 
you get to know him more. I hope that this week that you'll realize that God is able and he desires and he is so willing to go on this journey called life with you that he'll give you the strength to endure and he'll give you the joy to endure and he'll give you the hope to endure. He's the author and perfecter of faith. Lord, I pray. I pray for everyone in this room. As we all leave here today and we get back into life and everything's spinning around, Lord, I pray that everyone here will know that you are able and you are willing and you're right beside us. Lord, may we fix our eyes on you. In all the things we do, that we'll fix our eyes on you. In the name I pray, amen.